Hey everybody and welcome to the Health Tech Podcast where we talk about everything healthcare and technology. I'm your host, James Somaru, and this is your weekly Sunday session. Hey everybody and happy Sunday. So this week my guest is Aditya Nori from Microsoft Research Cambridge and in the past he has developed AI based productivity tools for cancer treatment, something called the Inner Eye Project which you'll hear about on the episode and he's also explored various synergies between programming languages and machine learning so a real techie at heart. Anyway now he leads the health intelligence theme at Microsoft Research Cambridge where their mission is to transform the practice of medicine via trusted and human-centered AI. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. So Ditcher, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, James. Thanks for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Aditya? I'm in Cambridge, uh, in fact, uh, speaking from my office in Microsoft Research, just making sure that I have a reliable internet connection <laughs> yeah you're doing better than me my internet has definitely not been reliable since i moved house but uh i've talked about that far too much on other episodes but anyway um cool so the way we start these podcasts this year is we we like to hear a bit of your background and obviously working for microsoft incredibly fascinating stuff that you're up to with project inner eye and all sorts of all sorts of cool things but um it'd be great for you to tell our listeners how you got to where you are Thanks, James. Uh, so as far as background goes, I, I did all my education in India, uh, got my PhD in computer science from the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, which is in the south of India. Um, I joined Microsoft Research India, which is also in Bangalore, as a postdoc almost 15 years ago. And I was a founding member of a research group called Rigorous Software Engineering, where I worked in the area of programming languages and software engineering. And my research focused on the design and analysis of large-scale complex software with the goal of making sure that this software is correct, performant, maintainable, and easily extendable. And my early research focused on tools to detect bugs in faulty third-party Windows device drivers. And this work led to the second generation of the static driver verifier toolkit that is now shipped with Microsoft Windows. Uh, I've also worked on problems in the areas of security and privacy, machine learning and information theory. And I was really fortunate to be able to work with world-class researchers on a wide variety of areas during my formative years. Um, and, and, and I started working on the design and development of reliable machine learning systems around 10 years ago, in particular thinking about the correctness, fairness, and robustness of machine learning models. And this also inspired my interest in healthcare, where safety and reliability, as you know, are of paramount importance. So when I moved to Microsoft Research Cambridge around six years ago, I joined the InnerEye project on using machine learning for medical image analysis. And this is where I began to see and understand the opportunities for, for, for both technical as well as society impact. And I've been hooked on to this fascinating research area ever since. So Project InnerEye, very cool name, first of all. Um, as you say, machine learning for medical image analysis. It's interesting that you also mention technology and society and, and benefits across all of that stuff. Tell me about Project Inner Eye. Tell me, tell me everything about it. I, mean, I don't know if you were there at its inception or what point you came in at it, but I know it's doing some very cool things in Cambridge. But um, yeah, tell me all about it. 
Yeah, so Project Innerby predates my involvement, of course. It was a research project that started almost 10 years ago. So we had researchers in Cambridge working on Microsoft Kinect. And at some point, uh, my friend and colleague, Antonio Criminizzi, thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if they could use, uh, you know, uh, machine learning models on radiological images? So that's how the project started. And as you know, medical imaging is important across many medical uh, applications and domains such as cardiology, cancer, ophthalmology, and surgery. And the medical imaging area is one of the most active areas of machine learning or AI in healthcare. And, and one reason for this is that the largest volume of healthcare data that is collected today is imaging data. So in Project InnerEye, we are developing state-of-the-art machine learning algorithms for medical image analysis to enhance clinical decision-making, clinical workflows, and also improve patient outcomes. So in particular, we are building AI-based productivity tools for clinicians to augment their capabilities. And our research also includes combining uh, phenotypical imaging features with other patient data to personalize treatment. Uh, one of our focus application areas, of course, as you know, is cancer treatment. And I will talk about the impact of this work uh, today. Uh, so if I may, uh, to, to give you some context, when we talk about cancer treatment, and since you're a doctor, you know this already, uh, there are four yeah. main ways of treating patients. The first is surgery, where uh, a surgeon physically removes the tumor from the body. The second is chemotherapy, where we use drugs to kill cancer cells. The third is immunotherapy, where living cells are reprogrammed to recognize and kill cancers, an example being CAR-T therapy. And the fourth uh, is radiotherapy, which is our focus area, where we use high doses of radiation to kill cancer cells and shrink tumors. And in particular, we work on intensity-modulated radiation therapy, which is a key component of cancer treatment because of the reduced treatment-induced toxicity. And almost 40% of successfully cured patients undergoing some form of radiotherapy. So our work uh, focuses on optimizing personalized radiotherapy treatment workflows with machine learning. Uh, in terms of context, uh, in radiotherapy, we use a linear accelerator or LINAC for radiotherapy delivery. And the, the, the LINAC fires radiation, which is used to kill the tumor. And of course, we'd like to limit the damage to healthy tissues, which are in the neighborhood of the tumor. And uh, achieving this requires therapy planning. And this involves programming the LINAC so that it can produce a, a three-dimensional spatial pattern of radiation that maximizes the damage to the tumor and preserves healthy tissues and vital organs. So the starting point for uh, the radio for the therapy plan is a CT scan of the patient. And the radiation oncologist takes a 3D CT image and then draws with high precision in the image, delineating the target tumor and the neighboring healthy tissues and organs at risk. And this segmentation is done typically using a stylus by going over dozens of 2D slices. And it's a very time-consuming process, which is called contouring, taking the clinician anywhere between 20 minutes to several hours, depending on the type of tumor being targeted. And this contouring process consumes significant time and resources in the cancer treatment pathway for radiotherapy and, and increases the burden on clinicians and the final cost to hospitals. And this can also create de delays that may be detrimental to patient outcomes. Uh, so, uh, so very recently, uh, you know, we published our work in, in JAMA Network Open uh, to address these challenges. And we asked the following question, can machine learning models achieve clinically acceptable image segmentation and radiotherapy planning and reduce overall contouring time? And this work is a culmination of a multi-year research program working with clinical experts around the world 
to understand what is required to make machine learning acceptable in clinical settings. And fortunately, the answer to this question is a resounding yes. We, we show that <laughs> using our models can produce clinical rate results with 90% reduction in contouring time. Furthermore, the results from these models fall within the range of variability across human experts. And, and, and thanks to these results, Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge will be clinically deploying these models built using our technology. And this is the first time we believe that an NHS trust will deploy a machine learning based solution for clinical use. So I'm very excited and keen to see the impact this will have on reducing overall treatment time for patients. I also think that this will pave the way for other NHS trusts to take advantage of our tools, all of which are available as open source software. And this is super important when we think about machine learning solutions that are reliable, transparent, and trustworthy. Right, I'm just making a load of notes, seriously here. So, I mean, what a case study that is. I mean, like, right from, I mean, you've gone from kind of the idea through to how you've actually executed it. You've talked about the problem that you've solved. And so, I suppose for the people listening, if I was going to summarize that, so obviously there's the four ways that you can treat cancer that you mentioned, surgery, chemo, immuno, radio and you're you're focused on radiotherapy and in terms of what the machine learning is actually doing it's personalizing the radiotherapy treatment by essentially taking that long process that long sort of process of somebody looking at a 2d image and using a stylus to uh to i suppose indicate where they want the radiotherapy and it's taking that process and I suppose automating it with the goal of preserving healthy tissues, because that's basically what radiotherapy needs to do. It needs to be focused purely on the tumor cells and not the healthy cells. And in doing that, you've then obviously published it in, in JAMA, which is the journal of the American medical association, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've reduced the overall contouring time. Now, by contouring, I assume you mean that that manual process of drawing out where you want, yeah, where you want the um, where you want the stuff happening, <laughs> where you want the stuff happening, where you want the radiotherapy happening, and you've reduced that by ninety percent. So that has meant that Adam Brooks are now deploying it. it opens the door for other NHS trusts. Interestingly, it's open source. We can definitely talk about that. But see, it seems it seems like that's a, I mean, that's a really nice cycle. I suppose, of how to, to actually execute and get something done. Now, reducing the contouring time by 90%, that's an interesting one because that's really significant. That's not marginal gains. That's like a real stepwise shift, which in theory means you could get double the amount of throughput. I mean, if, if that was the biggest use of time, right? So clearly, when we think about what's happening at the moment, you know, the NHS England statistics have just been released, 4.4 million people in waiting lists, a significant backlog of people to, to, to push through treatment. We need new models of care. We need new things to be happening. This strikes me as something that's very tangible and very able to do that, given the margin of improvement there of 90%. So when you do say, other, you know, opens the door for other NHS trusts, and I suppose we can bring in the fact that it's open source software here. Is this something you're looking to scale? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, uh, the, 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 our hope is that for scalability is that given that all the tools, the code and so on and so forth, since they're available, um, you know, an NHS trust can basically use their own data, use our code 
and train their own models. And that's precisely what Adam Brooks is doing today. Um, also, uh, you know, going back to um, you know, why we believe this is possible, uh, one of the barriers to the uptake of machine learning and clinical use uh, across different hospitals, as you mentioned, is, is that most models are only trained on a data set from a single institution. Yeah. So you have to focus on a single task. And this lack of generalizability can reduce the potential utility of machine learning in the real world. And due to the lack of uh, model robustness across different institutions, and 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 that's what you you refer to as scalability, and 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 to overcome this, we've developed uh, fairly generic models which are trained on data uh, from eight different uh, clinical uh, centers, uh, ranging from Australia, Europe, New Zealand, the North and South America, and 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 what we did was um, by way of examining these scans, we we saw that there was there was variation across these sites due to differences in scanner type, acquisition protocols, different kinds of patients, and so on and so forth. And we trained models for two segmentation tasks, one for prostate cancer and the other one for head and neck cancer. And, and, and these models were trained on a data set of 519 pelvic CT scans and 242 head and neck CT scans acquired as part of the treatment uh, dose planning process. And for our evaluation to make the drive home the point that the models that we developed were fairly general, the images were, uh, were grouped into two disjoint uh, sets. One was called main and the other co is called external. So the former was used for model training and testing purposes. And the latter is, a, is an excluded data set, which, was, uh, which consisted of images from three randomly selected clinical sites and was used to measure the model's generalization cap capability on these unseen data sets. And all the results reported, the speed up and the accuracy and so on, were over these unseen data set, which is why uh, you know, it is indeed quite uh, remarkable. Uh, so, so, so this allowed us to kind of enable a, a, a mass evaluation to be performed on the external data set. Yeah, so it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? Data sets and acquiring that data and, and how you use it. Because you're absolutely right, you know, getting data from just one site people always will, will question the validity of it so the ability for for you guys to actually collect that from eight different sites from all those different people and be able to use it obviously just strengthens the algorithm that you have i think it's it's interesting as well when you said uh and, and forgive me because i'm i'm not a software engineer or have any sort of computer science background but the open source element so the fact that hospitals can use their own data, your code, and personalize their own treatment, that must be a real kind of, a real sell to those institutions because I know from even working in different hospitals, people know their own population. People know and feel like they have a very unique population, which they do, you, you know, that where I worked in, you know, Liverpool, North Wales, different to where I worked in London and, 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 you know, KSS, like it was a different feel. It was a different patient population that had a different culture. I mean, cross country there, you know, Wales and England, like, people do have these kind of unique data. And I, I think the ability for, for that to be the case for them to use your code and, and personalize their own uh, treatments, yeah, I really like that. Is that something that 
that you you've talked about with I suppose that with Adam Brooks and with other hospitals you might be talking to? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you know, it's not just about uh, cool AI and machine learning algorithm. Yeah, the cool part is is really creating an end-to-end deployment framework. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minutes, right. So, so, uh, so I think those are great points that you made. So, our reproducible machine learning model indeed does create an opportunity for easy and widespread adoption of machine learning segmentation models in this case into existing radiotherapy workflows. That said, creating a, a machine learning model that performs well enough to be clinically useful does not necessarily mean that it can be deployed successfully in the clinic. The additional engineering and infrastructure required to integrate it into a clinical setting is very significant. To help bridge this gap between research and application deployment, uh, the InnerRide team has been working with folks in Microsoft Azure over the last few years to create an end-to-end framework for cloud deployment using the industry uh, standard DICOM image format. And in the framework that we created, uh, CT scans are acquired for patients as they attend preparations for radiotherapy treatment. And and these scans are initially stored in the hospital's image data set uh, database and, and later securely transferred via what we call a gateway to the machine learning service in the cloud after anonymizing them. And once the segmentation process is complete, uh, the resulting files containing the contours are uploaded back to the hospital's image database, creating a very seamless clinical workflow where clinicians can review and refine contours in their existing contouring and planning tools. So, so to quickly you know, summarize the, the work, just so that you know that it's, it goes much beyond just the machine learning AI part, we of course have trained machine learning models that can be easily integrated into current radiotherapy practices uh, with approval from the appropriate regulatory agencies, of course, and have accuracy bounds within accuracy within the bounds of human expert variability. We've also tested the robustness of these models when applied to images from clinical sites with different protocols and imaging hardware. And we've also shown potential time savings for complex uh, radiotherapy planning clinical workflows of over 90%. And, um, and, and we have uh, developed underlying cloud platform technology that can be used for seamless integration into existing clinical workflows. So while, again, to reiterate, uh, while the machine learning models have been shown to perform well enough to be uh, relevant for clinical practice, it is imperative that clinicians and experts remain in the loop to assess accuracy and clinical significance And the ability for experts to manually correct the model outputs is a necessary component of the AI augmented radiotherapy workflow. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously clinical workflows and the importance of of getting things into clinical workflows, absolutely. Keeping clinicians in the loop, absolutely. My question next regarding that kind of thing and i suppose the agility necessary and that side of things there's obviously quite a lot of startups looking to do similar stuff so like nhsx just i mean they've opened i think they closed it now the um the second round of the ai in health and care award so lots of startups are in that there were corporates as well and academic academic organizations but lots of people applied for that you know millions that was dished out in grant funding to sort of help speed up the adoption of ai Obviously, a lot of startups were in there. The likes of Chiron Medical doing it in breast screening, the likes of Ibex Medical Analytics doing it in pathology. 
I suppose my question for you, it's, and it's more of an opinion, I suppose, a corporate like Microsoft obviously has a completely different vibe about it. It has a completely different uh, set of resources. It has a completely different infrastructure, credibility, or, you know, all of that side of things. And I suppose it's a double-edged sword. But I suppose my question is, do you think as Microsoft and the big corporate, you have an advantage over small startups looking to do similar things? Or do you think it's a bit of give and take with that kind of thing? I think, uh, you know, the... I guess, um, you know, our mission is to really empower healthcare organizations, including startups. Yeah. More, right? So, so essentially what we've learned in the course of working on Innerai and other related projects in, in my group, which I haven't talked about yet, is, is, is really, uh, you know, building these solutions, uh, keeping in mind that it has to be in a, in a human-centered manner. I mean, yeah. Manner. So... Essentially, you know, it's it, it's about you know thinking about the user and and the patient from the very beginning, which is also the reason why if you look at our NRI work, it's done in collaboration with our clinical collaborators in Addenbrooke's. It's not like we had a machine learning hammer and went looking around for what problems we can solve. But at the very outset, we defined the problem together, identified the opportunities. Uh, or challenges in the radiotherapy workflow, and then created these machine learning solutions. So I think, you know, the exciting thing about AI and healthcare is that it's a very multidisciplinary activity. And it involves, you know, uh, bringing together lots of different skills to, you know, build these end-to-end kind of scenarios. Um, So it's a very different way by means of which we do research. So do you guys potentially partner with startups then? Do Do you guys invest? Do you guys acquire i mean it's interesting because you're obviously in this ai space this ai game there's lots surrounding you there's obviously so much that you that you could be doing and probably are doing yeah, yeah I'm, ju- I'm just interested in in your kind of relationship with the startups in the space i think the answer is 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 all of the above <laughs> i thought it might be uh but as far as microsoft research is concerned and and, and the group i work in uh, it's called health intelligence uh we work on a number of areas. I mean, in addition to medical imaging, we work in areas of AI for hospital care, mental health, synthetic biology, immunomics, and so on. And for each of these areas, we have an amazing set of clinical and healthcare uh, collaborators. And I think it's important to emphasize that these uh, partnerships enable us to co-innovate with domain experts, but they also make sure or ensure that our research is, is grounded in clinical reality. Because... Uh, it's very important for us to really understand what the uh, opportunities, challenges and issues are rather than speculate on you know, what they might be. So it's not about basically creating technology with the hope that it will get used somewhere, but it's really starting with the problem and then finding solutions. So how are you guys going about the scale of this now? Obviously Project NRI sounds like a huge success in what you're doing at Adam Brooks. It's obviously providing you with so much evidence that it that it is working it's clearly got patient impact it's clearly got clinician impact it's clearly got systems and you know health economic impact as well obviously you've got everything you need now to to scale um how how are you doing that is it just a case of knocking on the doors of all the hospitals now and just saying like here's the data what do you reckon 
or is it more that they come to you? I mean, I'm just interested, I suppose, in, in what it's like for, for an organization like yourselves. Yeah, it's a bit of both walking as well as waiting, right? So I, I, I think, uh, you know, as far as, you know, during the pandemic, for example, uh, there were new problems that surfaced. So for example, you know, as far as imaging was concerned, uh, a key problem uh, was about medical imaging for COVID prognosis. And, um, and we were able to very quickly uh, develop solutions in collaboration with other NHS collaborators to work on this problem. And we used the open source solution again. But this was for a different set of problems, very different from radiotherapy treatment planning. It's mostly radiology. So for example, building al- designing algorithms <coughs> that localize and quantify lesions in the lung, uh, also with the hope of giving a robust severity score uh, classifying patients into different priority categories. Um, and, and currently, frontline clinicians have no robust method to, to, to classify patients when uh, interpreting these kinds of imaging tests. So, um, so this is also about you know, uh, scaling the existing solution that we have, radiotherapy, but also kind of really uh, communicating the fact that it's not only about radiotherapy, but the platform that we built can also be uh, used to develop, it gives you a great starting point to develop solutions. You don't have to kind of, so we commoditize lots of things in the medical imaging space so that startups, healthcare providers, and so on and so forth can build on our work. But equally so, there are lots of, I mean, I, I'm proud to say that I work in a team with very smart people, but equally so, there are lots of smart people out there. So we can also, the, the nice thing about uh, the open source work is that it also allows people from outside to contribute to it with their ideas and we can build on their ideas as well. So it's kind of building that ecosystem so that we can co innovate together. Yeah, definitely. And I like that. I like the fact that you are taking that ecosystem approach, that platform approach, and you're absolutely right. I think with, with infrastructure, like you guys are able to put in, it's not just the case of solving one small problem. It's about, you know, really getting under the skin and trying to, well, first of all, solve a problem end to end, but then obviously provide a platform that you can then drop on top of to solve other problems as you go further on in time. And I think that's that's obviously an advantage of of working with you guys. Um, and seemingly that's what you're looking to do with Adam Brooks. I mean, it sounds it sounds very cool. It it, it just sounds like um, uh, how do I explain this? It I'm in the startup game a lot, right? accelerators pre-seed series a we speak to so many health tech startups on here it's just a different kettle of fish i think when it's um, you know a microsoft that are going in and doing similar things it feels different i suppose and i'm not saying it feels better or worse it just feels different i just think you know the way that you've explained the way that you've gone about it i think the credibility that you guys have allows you to work with the likes of adam brooks it allows you well, not allows you, but I suppose you are, you're always going to come onto this podcast, for example, with very clear impact metrics, with very clear health economic metrics, with very clear kind of process of this is the problem we're solving. This is how we do it. And I think there is a, there is probably a lesson there for people, especially when they're starting out as health tech entrepreneurs and trying to do those things. I think it was interesting just how pretty much unprompted that's how you've delivered that message and and clearly that's how you've gone about the process as microsoft with adam brooks as well very measured uh very thorough and clearly making the impact that you want and you know sensible speed of scale that you've you've had to prove it first 
And then you're now saying to everybody, look, here's the numbers. Does anybody else fancy getting involved? But it's interesting, isn't it, with AI, that there is no seeming solution to massive scale immediately, just simply because if you want to be that platform that you can drop on top of, it's a different regulatory hurdle every time you want to change the intended use, right? And I think that's a really important thing that there is no one organization that is just going to monopolize the entire of AI and healthcare, in my opinion, anyway. I mean, someone like you, Harvey, might argue differently, but I think he was the one who told me that that you know, the intended use of it is so important and so difficult to get past that to do that multiple times is going to require quite a lot of resource that no, no one organization is going to be able to do if they're focused. But it sounds like, as I say, that, that you've got a real, a real good hand in this. I think it is important for my listeners to know that it isn't just startups. It isn't just the likes of Chiron and Ibex, that there are people like yourself. There are the academic institutions too that are involved in a lot of this stuff and you know, organizations like Adam Brooks that are clearly doing this stuff. So yeah, it's just been a pleasure having you on. Thank you for so much. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and telling us all about what you're up to. Um, have you got any asks of our audience? That's how we generally end these things. We've got everybody listening to this from hospital execs to, to entrepreneurs, to the, the investment community, to other corporates. And as I say, listeners all around the world at this point. So um, yeah, if you've got any asks for our audience, then do let me know. Yeah. Um... I don't have asked, but I have some thoughts I'd like to share, of course. Sure. I think it's, it, it's really a great uh, time to work in AI, and, and, and there's a huge opportunity for AI to transform healthcare. To quote Satya Nadella, I think uh, what he says is that healthcare is perhaps AI's most urgent application. Um, and, and, and currently, as you know, half of the world's uh, population do not have access to essential healthcare services. And for the other half of the population, uh, who do have access to healthcare, this access is often compromised by services that are buckling under immense pressure. And I think with, uh, with the widespread proliferation and digitization of health data assets, there's a huge opportunity for AI to meet these challenges and enable transformations necessary uh, to, to, to make healthcare accessible uh, to everybody. Uh, so, so even though there's a huge excitement around this potential, uh, and, and looking at the advances that we are uh, witnessing in machine learning, I think this excitement must also be tempered by the, the knowledge that despite uh, decades of advances, there remains a, a, a disappointing lack of AI adoption in the healthcare system. So it is imperative that we do not fumble this opportunity and that we attend both to the machine learning advances, but also its widespread adoption in healthcare systems. Um, I think the pandemic also has been a huge catalyst for innovation. We've seen all kinds of advances ranging from digital bots to accelerated trials. And I am optimistic about AI and data science leading to more innovations in the space of data-driven medicine. And at the heart of this uh, are the following key challenges that need to be addressed, which I hope the listeners, uh, somebody is going to basically work on these kinds of problems. Health data, as you know, is highly sensitive, inconsistent, siloed not really optimized for the purpose of AI or machine learning development, implementation and adoption. And there's also a lack of trusted AI algorithms that clinicians can rely on to solve key problems that they face in everyday care context. And, and to make uh, steps towards uh, this adoption, we need to build solutions that are trusted by humans. Uh, and what this means is that we need to understand users and context to identify the right problems that AI can address. 
We also need to transform algorithms into meaningful user experiences that can be evaluated. And we need to build solutions that are trusted by humans. And trusted in the setting means AI that is reliable, transparent, fair, and secure. And we need to build solutions in ways that are actionable by users and enhance their capabilities. So I think um, you know, AI can greatly help with accelerating the, the science of medicine so that clinicians have more time uh, doing the art and, and really spend time uh, understanding and caring for their patients. So the incentive for this is really better and timely care. Uh, I hope our work with Adam Brooks was, was one such examples, uh, example. Clinicians can actually use the extra time to provide better care for their patients and also be able to treat several more patients. And I think in the UK, by pairing uh, the NHS's world-class clinical research expertise with computer science, there's an extraordinary opportunity to redefine how healthcare is delivered by accelerating the pace of healthcare innovation through state-of-the-art AI research. And I'm very excited at the opportunity to revolutionize healthcare together in a way that significantly improves patient safety outcomes and experiences, both at the NHS level and globally. And we want to do all of this while preserving the essence of high-quality care, which is really preserving the human element. Love it. I'm, I'm so glad that Microsoft are in this game, definitely. Um, I, and there's one phrase that I'm going to take for forwards from this, and I don't know if you've coined this or someone in your team or someone at Microsoft or, or whether, whoever did this, but the, the fact that AI can take care of the science so that uh, clinicians can, take, can go back to the art or some, some combination of those words. That was glorious. I love that. I'll definitely be taking that forwards, possibly as my own, but I'll credit you where I can, um, where I remember Thanks. anyway. <laughs> um, Aditya, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I wish you all the best. Thanks, James. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.